Hey everybody, and welcome to Well Said, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's new podcast where we talk with students, faculty, and staff about what's going on on campus and around the world. And with commencement right around the corner, today we're talking with graduating senior and student body president, Houston Summers. So Houston, your journey to commencement has been a little bit different than the rest of your classmates. Instead of coming to Carolina straight out of high school, you took a few years off and you went to go play minor league baseball. So I guess the best place to start is back when you were drafted in the 47th round as a 17-year-old. When you're that young, I mean, you had just graduated high school a few weeks earlier. What's that draft process like? I mean, did you have any idea that you were going to be drafted out of high school? Or were you just hanging around hoping that someone was going to give you that call to tell you that you can go play professional baseball? When I was drafted, there were 50 rounds, I believe. And you could pick anyone in any round and give them any amount of money you wanted. So I think that gave major league clubs a lot more flexibility then to be able to draft a high school kid like myself that might have been under the radar a little bit in the 47th round, having tentatively agreed to you know particular terms on a contract or what have you. But it was a hurry up and wait sort of mentality. It was, okay, you know, I think I'm going to be drafted in the top 10 rounds. And then I got a call at the end of day one and said, don't worry about it. We're going to take you first thing tomorrow, which meant, you know, 15th, 17th round. Okay, great. No big deal. 40th round comes and I'm still not drafted. And, and then the draft wasn't televised. It was on the internet. So I'm sitting there in front of the computer hours and hours on end. And I figured the Diamondbacks were probably the only club that was going to take me. And uh, my dad calls me down for dinner and he says, hey, let's, let's go eat. And I said, no, I want to listen to one more round. And then first pick in the 47th round, there we went. It was a pretty surreal experience, um, and I was even so young that my parents had to co-sign on my contract with me, so it wasn't just my name on the dotted line. Finding out that you're going to Missoula, Montana, and I had no idea how to pronounce Missoula, Montana at the time, when you're 17 years old to live by yourself and play professionally, it's a scary thing. I mean, you have to grow up really, really quickly. So that was an unreal experience, and looking back now, I'm thinking, geez, I don't know what my parents were thinking, letting me leave home and go play at 17, but I'm glad they did, and it's worked out pretty well. Growing up in Greensboro, you were a catcher, but once you made it to the minors, you spent a lot of your time as a pitcher. What was that transition like? That was one of the most incredible yet frustrating experiences that, that I've ever had. I expected to go in as a catcher and start and play right away. I had no real knowledge of the game of baseball, but my physical abilities and being able to catch and throw were, were really, really high. And, and I thought that alone was going to carry me. At the time, in, in rookie ball, we had a 24-year-old catcher, a 23-year-old catcher, and I believe a 19-year-old catcher from Mexico on the roster at the same time. So me being the 17-year-old, I'm catching bullpens. And it drove me crazy, but it was, it was necessary. It was something I needed to do to be able to develop and learn the game better. And I ended up deciding that, you know, I'm going to start taking infield and other positions just so I can, if somebody goes down, I can have a chance to play. So started taking ground balls at second base and third base and fly balls in the outfield. And I got playing time at all those positions, which was, which was awesome, but it was really frustrating. And then um, I guess this was probably my second or third year. We were in spring training at the White Sox place when the White Sox were still in Tucson. And I had the day off and was out in the outfield warming up and I was just messing around with a knuckleball. And those advanced scouts, they say that they see everything. Well, I, I kind of believe it. I think they do. Apparently, one of them saw me throwing a knuckleball and told our director of player development. He comes in town to Missoula a couple of months later and says, I want to see you pitch. I get on the mound and fire a you know 88-mile-an-hour fastball, and he's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to see that. Show me your knuckleball. 
long story short, he said, that's what you're doing from now on. So put your bat away, get to work on the mound. Okay. So you played in the minor leagues for about seven seasons. But one of the hardest things for all athletes is that moment when you have to accept or admit that the game's just not working out anymore and it's time to walk away. When was that moment for you? I think I've had a lot of those moments, honestly. It seems like after every bad start, I had one of those moments. But as far as the grand scheme of things goes, I think it was probably spring training of 2011. One of the good friends with the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, he's the director of player development now, Gary LaRock, called me up and he said, Houston, we, we need to talk. And I said, okay, great, let's talk. And we've always been completely honest with one another. And he said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now, we probably could find a space for you on a roster somewhere, but I'm just going to tell you as a friend, it's probably in your best interest that, that you go back to school because I know you want to go back to school. And at the time, wanted to go to med school and potentially still do, but we've got some other things we're juggling right now. And he said, you know, I, I think it's time. And in my original contract, the Diamondbacks agreed to pay for my undergraduate degree. So I had that to fall back on and uh, decided that that was ultimately the best, the best thing for me at the time and hung him up and walked away. Doesn't mean I don't miss it. So after you retired from minor league baseball, how long was it before you applied to Carolina? I actually called Steve Farmer's office over in admissions and said, will you admit me in the spring semester? And they said, no, all first years come in the fall. And I said, okay, fine. So um, I I took those five or six months off and I had to take the SAT over again because they had changed the format of the SAT. And that's kind of an interesting story in and of itself, but worked at the North Carolina Baseball Academy, which is owned by Scott Bankhead, who is a former All-American here. And I had a wonderful time doing that. I got to work with a ton of kids all around the area, some of which are actually currently on the baseball team here now. That's always cool to go out and watch some of those guys play. But did that for about six months or so and then got ready, took my tests and came to Carolina. It's been a great opportunity because it's almost, I, I tell people all the time, it's my second chance. You know, it's everybody says, man, if I could do it over again, this is what I do. And that's kind of what I've had the opportunity to, to accomplish here. It's getting to go back and be 17 again and retake my SAT and reapply for colleges and be a freshman all over again, even though I wasn't technically one to begin with. Was it hard for you to begin your college experience when you were 24 years old? I mean, a lot of the people around you, a lot of your classmates were 18, 19 years old. Absolutely. For one, living in a dorm when you're, uh, you know, 24 residence hall is, uh, is quite a different experience, especially after you've been out and, you know, had your own apartment and you know, rented your own houses and stuff like that, coming back and living in a, in a 10 by 10 or it seems like 12 by 12 box with, you know, a twin size bed is, is quite an interesting adjustment. But beyond the living situation, walking into a first year class where you've got 400 people taking biology 101 and you don't know anyone at all. That's a pretty scary situation right there, despite the fact that I was 24 and played in front of thousands of people. It was quite a humbling and scary experience. When you look at the sports world today, it's pretty much you go to college and then you go pro. But you did the opposite of that. You were a pro and then you came back to college. Did your experience as a professional athlete help prepare you for college? 100%. I mean, there are things, and I'm sure there are other experiences in life that will teach you similar lessons, but... When you're at the plate and you are 0 for 40 and there's a guy on the mound that's throwing 95 miles an hour and you're thinking, man, I don't have a prayer. Like, I am just done. It helps you appreciate 
the highs because you've experienced the lows and it helps you keep a little more even keel throughout everything and, and know that it's going to be all right. I have to stick to the principles. I have to control the things I can control and that's it. And, and I think those, those life lessons really helped me in college. One thing that, that everyone always reiterated over and over again in my baseball career is that a lot of guys would think that just because you played A ball this year, they're going to play double A next year, triple A the following year, so forth and so on. So it was almost like you were entitled to continue to move and progress. And in life, that's not the case. And in baseball, that's not the case. You have to earn your way to the next level. You have to to develop into a better player. And I tried to take that exact same mentality coming here to Carolina. My 24-year-old self as a first year is nothing compared to the individual that I like to think I've developed into four years later. And taking those experiences from baseball and applying them here, you know, you have to take advantage of every opportunity that you're given. There's a quote on my locker. It says something to the effect of, the opportunity of a lifetime only lasts the lifetime of the opportunity. And when it's gone, it's gone. And I knew I had four years to, to take full advantage of Carolina and everything that it has to offer. And I'd like to think that's what I did. While you were here, you also picked up another sport. How did you start getting into track? It's a little bit different than baseball. One of the trainers that I had when I was playing baseball, his name's Jonathan Sherborne. He's out of, out of Greensboro. He had done a lot of work with Charlie Francis, who's the world-renowned Canadian sprint coach. And I knew that track and field could be something that I was interested in, but I had no talent. I wasn't that fast. I wasn't that strong. I'm not that big. So I had no idea where I was going to fit. Football was, was out of the question. Guys at this level are way too big and way too fast for me. Wrestling was out of the question. It had been too long for my technical aspects. So track is kind of what was left. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to stumble into Coach Metter's office and, and see what happens. And, of course, he thought I was lost because 24-year-old first years just don't show up on your front step asking to be on the team. So that's been an interesting thing, but it definitely just kind of fell into it. So you started out wanting to be a sprinter, but you ended up being a javelin thrower. How did that one happen? It was really strange the way it happened. I told Coach that I wanted to be a sprinter, and that was kind of my excuse to say, hey, look, I'm going to do something. I can be on the team, and I'm going to outwork everybody in the, in the preseason workouts. And he called the team together one day. I guess this was in August of my, or maybe September of my freshman year, and said, this kid may be terrible, but he's going to be on the team until I say otherwise. And I've been on the team ever since, fortunately. But I, I thought I was going to be a sprinter, and Coach Langley uh, you know, you've got to have decent arm strength. Let's see what that looks like. Let's give you a javelin. And up until that point, I had never touched a javelin. I didn't know what it looked like. I, I knew that it was a pretty long spear, but outside of that, I had no clue and uh, picked it up. And a few short months later, it was actually flying relatively far. So I was pretty excited about that. And then in addition to becoming a collegiate athlete, you added on the extra responsibility of becoming the student body president. Did you ever think that you would be a student body president of a college? Not in a million years. I, I like to believe that I'm not political at all. I had no interest in being student body president, didn't have anything to do with student government in high school. In fact, I was so focused on baseball, I don't know that I did a lot of anything else other than practice and hang out with my friends. Coming here, what, what really changed that for me was seeing how incredibly hard my teammates worked, You know, my, my fellow student athletes worked, and then turning on the news at night or, or opening up a paper or reading an article online that just says, student athletes at North Carolina, they have it made. They, they take these easy classes or don't go to class at all. 
And I was like, this is not my experience. And, and I've, you know, felt the burning desire to, to stand up and say something about that. And that's kind of what led to, to being student body president. So in your senior year, you added on all that extra responsibility of being the student body president to a schedule that I'm sure was pretty nuts to begin with as a collegiate athlete and a student. Looking back on it now, as you're about to graduate, was all that extra work worth it? Absolutely. I can't say right this very second that I would do all of it over again, but there are certain pieces of it that are absolutely amazing. I mean, the the people you meet and the people you interact with, it's incredible. And to really get a behind-the-scenes look at how expansive this university is and all the amazing things that happen here... We look at AIDS research, you know, we have Nobel laureates, you name it. I mean, there's so many amazing people and amazing things being done at this university that when, you know, you're an undergraduate student, you, you very often miss all of that. And it is absolutely remarkable to have had those experiences and to meet the people that are the driving forces behind all of these world leading programs and, and research centers. It, it has been absolutely remarkable. In just a couple days, you're officially going to be a graduate of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And it's been a long journey for you to get here. What's it going to mean to you to finally graduate and have a college degree? I don't want to go. I, I don't. I don't want to leave. Um, it, it's going to mean. It's going to mean the world to me. I mean, there there's so many amazing people that have supported me along the way. You know, parents, my girlfriend. I, I, there's so many people that mean so much to to me that have helped me that I couldn't have done this without. There, there are just certain things that, man, I just don't want to leave. And I, I don't know, it just, it's going to be an overwhelming experience. But, you know, fortunately, my family's going to be able to make it down. And, and I know that's going to be a really fun, exciting time for us, for us to share together. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. And don't forget to check back to unc.edu next week for a new episode of Well Said. <laughs>